beginning in verse number 12. You remember in Hebrews 11, it, it talks about Rahab by faith hid the spies with peace. God is leading his people into the promised land, and Jericho is a city that opposes them, and they're going to have to deal with them in combat, but God has promised to fight that battle for them. So in verse number 12, Rahab is speaking to the spies that she has hidden. Now, therefore, I pray you swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my father's house and give me a true token and that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. And the men answered her, our life for yours, if ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. Then she let them down by a cord through the window, for her house was upon the town wall, and she dwelt upon the wall. Now the text is, is going to begin to give attention or to focus upon this particular residence. The physical structure itself and its importance to her deliverance or to their death and destruction. Verse 16, and she said unto them, get you to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you and hide yourselves there three days until the pursuers be returned and afterward may ye go your way. And the men said unto her, we will be blameless of this thine oath which thou hast made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window which, did, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. There's a specific location. Verse 19, and it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the streets, meaning you go outside of this house, this specific location, whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, in verse 19, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Turn over to chapter 6, if you would, please. Chapter 6. We'll get to this again eventually, but I want to deal with this part this morning. Verse 20, so the people shouted when the priest blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city, and they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, ox and sheep, and ass with the edge of the sword. Verse 22, but Joshua had said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, that's Rahab, and that's a reference to the life that she lived before she knew God, and bring out thence the, the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her, and the young men that were spies went in and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. And they brought out all her kindred and left them without the camp, the camp of Israel. And they burned the city with fire and all that was therein. Turn back to chapter 2. Here's the 
here's the thought. There's, there's things in chapter 6 you'd have questions about, and we've referenced those some. Let me deal with this briefly. It's not the point of the message. In the Old Testament, there is an abundance of grace. And you read a statement like we just read where everyone was killed. There are times when people oppose, put themselves in such an opposition to God that the only way to deal with evil is through violent force. That was true then, and it's still true today. I'm not dealing with all of that subject right now, but the evidence that people, even in Jericho, could have turned to God is this. There were people in Jericho that turned to God. And you know what they found? Grace. Mercy. Here's the title. In this house. There was a house where Rahab found refuge. But there was no other house. But in that house, she would be safe, she would be secure, she would be saved from destruction that would be complete and thorough. She and her family found salvation in this house. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us and whatever wrestlings or questions are going on in the hearts of people, I pray that you would deal with each heart and each need with your truth as only you can. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. Thanks so much for standing to honor God's word. At this time, Alex Tinsley is going to come and sing, You'll Never Walk Alone. Is that close enough? All right, you'll never walk alone. I'm so thankful that he promised to never leave us and never forsake us, so let this song minister to you.
It's a wonderful truth, and I'm so thankful for it. A lot of times we feel alone, don't we? We talked this morning in our Sunday school lesson that just because you feel something with intensity does not make it accurate. And sometimes you can feel really alone, but the word of God is true. No matter how much you feel alone, you're not. And that, that's, man, I could just go off preaching on that song right now. Mm, that was good. That was worth tuning in. Mama and Papa Tinsley, you were blessed. <laughs> Hope you'll listen to the preaching too, but you were blessed if that's all you get. Mm, that, was, that was good stuff. So praise the Lord for that. Many of you were privileged to read the literary classic, The Three Little Pigs. <laughs> and it, it was a stroke. It was a stroke of genius, these lines, I'll huff, and I'll puff, and I'll blow your house down. Now look, let's just be true. You can hate the wolf. I understand the wolf because I love bacon. <laughs> and I'll take a backhoe and run over somebody's house if, it, house if it means I get some bacon. But you know the story of the three little pigs. And their mama was tired of feeding them. Their appetites had increased, as the appetites of pigs do. And so she sent them out to make their way in the world and to pay for their own groceries. And one pig was really lazy, and so he built his house out of straw. Another pig was a little less lazy, but still lazy, and he built his house out of sticks. And then the third pig decided that it's worth saving my bacon, you're welcome. It's worth saving. Sorry, I got to stop being tickled with myself. It's worth saving my bacon. I'm going to build my house out of brick. So the wolf came to the first house, huffed and puffed and blew the straw down. And as the version that I read goes, that pig ran into the house with sticks, and then the wolf came and huffed and puffed and blew that house down. And then those two pigs ran into that house that was made of brick. And all of the huffing and all of the puffing and all of the blowing, all of the ferocious intensity of the wolf 
was not enough to blow that house down. In fact, as the story, the version that I read goes, the wolf got so frustrated that he decided to climb down into the chimney where there was a boiling pot, and he fell into the pot. And if you know anything about pigs, because I do, I worked on pig farms for a long time, they are not particular about what they eat, which makes it so amazing that bacon always tastes good, hallelujah. And as the story goes, they ate that wolf, hallelujah. See, the point of that is this. There were multiple houses that were fragile. There was only one house that would withstand. There were multiple houses that would succumb to judgment, to the fierceness, to the assaults of the wolf. There was only one house that would withstand the attacks of the enemy. In that house... In our text, the walls of Jericho, the city, the first city that the children of Israel are coming into conflict with as they begin to follow God into the promised land, the walls of Jericho were massive and imposing, but as we'll find out, as we've already read, God would give his people the victory, and those walls were certain to fall. The city was going to be completely destroyed. If you look back in verse number 21 of chapter 6, it uses the phrase, utterly destroyed, meaning that the destruction of the city was thorough, it was complete, and there was uh, it, the only things that were preserved were the precious things that could be given as an offering to God. Everything else was completely destroyed and broken down. It was certain, it was a thorough judgment, and by the way, God was right, and he was righteous in his judgment of people that opposed him. And you can say about the city of Jericho, as it arrived at this place, going from a, a, a city that was proud and strong and trusted in its walls, trusted in the size and the magnitude, and we've talked about in previous messages, the extent and the measurement of those walls, how big they were and strong they were and the feeling of security that they would give in spite of all of that ultimately those walls by the power of God would be broken down and everywhere throughout that city there would be only complete and total ruin except for one small spot somewhere along the wall we read that her house was upon the wall in verse number 15 of chapter 2, for her house was upon the town wall and she dwelt upon the wall. There was a house where there lived a woman whose lifestyle was not pleasing to God, but we talked about this. People want to presume to know why she was in that lifestyle, and I'm not justifying it at all, but let's just recognize we don't know all of the factors that contributed to her being in that lifestyle. We just know it's the lifestyle she was in, and it's not a lifestyle that God would approve of, but aren't you glad that God doesn't save us based on our merit? He saves us based on our willingness to believe in him. And so this woman who was living in a city that was condemned, even though it didn't feel condemned, even though it felt like it would go on forever, that city was going to eventually be destroyed, and she understood that. She recognized, you go back into the previous verses, chapter 11, chapter, or excuse me, chapter 2, verse 11, you see that she recognized God was going to judge the city she lived in because of his righteousness and the way that city stood in opposition to the purpose of God. And yet even 
even in that city, you could find grace with God if you would believe in him and turn to him in faith. And there in that house, she asked for her life and for the life of her family to be spared. I just want you to notice a few characteristics about this house, and we'll understand as we go through how they apply to salvation. Number one, this house had room for others. She goes through the conversation with the spies, and she says, I'm asking you because I have demonstrated faith. In, in the name of the Lord, would you make this commitment to me that when you come against this city, that me and my father's house and my, my brothers and sisters, all that they have, that we will be spared. And they said in verse number 18, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window that, which thou didst let us down by, and thou shalt bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto thee. The, the parameter of their protection was this. They have to be within this location, but within this location, there is room for more than just you. You can go get your father, you can go get your mama, you can go get your brothers, you can go get your sisters, and it gives the implication that whatever extended family she wanted to bring in, she was able to bring them in, and there they would have room. There would be room for everyone that could cram into that house in order to be safe from the judgment that was going to come. I've, I've lived in tight quarters before, mainly because there's 10 of us. 1,400 square feet can be tight for three. It's really tight for 10. And I know people personally that have more people in their family and have lived in even tighter quarters. Uh, you know what it's like, but here's what's amazing. You can cram a lot of people into a small house. Oh yeah, we, had a, we were hosting a college activity one time in our 1,300 or so square foot house where 10 people resided, and we had about 50 college and career singles in that house. You see, where'd they go? All over the place. But when you're determined, you can fit a lot of people in. Now, notice the distinction here. The, the, based on the language of the spies, it seems like the protection of the house was limited to her family because that's what she requested for. And I don't understand all of the reasons why she was only requesting for her family. Maybe she understood the temperature and the attitude of the city and their hatred for the people of God. Maybe she recognized some of those things. I don't know, but she brings up her family and all of theirs, and then the spies address that. But the text limits those that will come into her house basically to her family. But whoever would come into there, there would be room. Can, can I tell you this about Jesus Christ, just in case you don't? No, Jesus Christ and the salvation that he offers is not limited to a select few, but it's available to everyone. In the house of Jesus, there is room for anyone who will be saved. Revelation twenty two seventeen says this, the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Romans 10, 13, 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him. In First Peter, or Second Peter, it talks about this. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness. He's not willing that any should perish. Luke 14, 23, Jesus said, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Here's the thing about God. You can never fill up his house. And as long as there are people, there will be room in his family for one more person to be saved. I'm just saying, God has room for anyone who wants to be saved. You know what's interesting about churches? Sometimes churches don't have room for the kind of people that God wants to save. Mm, well, thank you, Pastor, for that. I love, I love this question. It's one of my favorite questions. Okay, Pastor, you're inviting us to our church. What are your requirements for us to come? For you to be a person and to have something on. No, 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 no. You say, well, yeah, it, it looks like people are dressing up and, and, you know, we notice different things about the way people are dressed. Yeah, yeah, we can talk about that if you want to. And there are certain leadership requirements and, and everyone in a position of leadership understands why we do things the way that they do. And they'll be happy to explain what I have talked to them about and why we do things the way that we do. But you know what you got to do to find acceptance with God here? You just got to be and you got to be willing to come because there's room. Hey, West Valley, we're going to strive to be a church family where there's always room for people. You know what I'm liking about this right now? We're declining in the actual physical room that there is. You know what we're supposed to do then? Make more room. I want to encourage our, I want to encourage our regular attenders. Sit, uh, sit a little closer to the front. No, sit a little closer to the front. You say, why? Because that allows guests to have a place to come in. I like it. You say, well, what are we going to do? This, I mean, we keep getting really full, and then it kind of slacks off a little bit. We get a little full, and God's going to give us something, hallelujah. If we got to go sit out in the parking lot, if people want to be here to hear the truth of God, we will make room, hallelujah. We got great young ladies over here and great young men, and I know their spirit, and I know their families. They'll be willing to come up here and sit on the platform with me if we need to. There will be room. You know what we're not going to do? We're never going to say to someone because they have a different lifestyle, no, there's no room in here for you. Because they need to know Jesus Christ. And it's interesting to note that Rahab's life, Rahab's lifestyle wasn't changed until after God saved her, not before. Yeah, that's a good point. It refers to her as Rahab the harlot through the entire story of this narrative. And yet there was room in that house. Man, there's room in the house of Jesus Christ. Here, another thing. People want to say, well, God's selective about how, who he lets in. This idea of Calvinism that says that God says, you get to go and you don't get to go. You get to go and you don't get to go. My friend, you cannot prove that from Scripture. That is not in the word of God. He did not die for the world and then say, okay, I'm going to choose which part of the world goes to hell and which part of the world goes to heaven. It says whosoever will may come because it is in fact whosoever will. It says that he loved the world because he in fact loved and loves and cares for sinners. And it says that he's not willing that any should perish because he is in fact not willing that any should perish. Do people perish? Yeah, but it's not because he wants them to. It's because they reject his salvation. Can I tell you, this morning, there's room for you. You say, you don't know what I've done. 
oh, I don't need to know. Jesus paid for it on the cross, and he's such a savior that there is room for you to come through his grace. There is room for you no matter how bad it's been. You say, you don't know what's been done to me. I'm telling you, there's room for you. It doesn't matter how hard the road has been. It doesn't matter how much you've suffered through the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There is grace, and there is forgiveness, and there is mercy. I get so tired of hearing this politically driven narrative about overpopulation. And I'm an expert on it because I have eight kids, hallelujah. I'm allowed to have an opinion about this. Say, what do you know? Eight children, mic drop. People that make that statement are either intentionally ignorant, trying to accomplish an agenda, or they just don't know and they need to go take a drive. Last week, we drove from Sioux Falls, which is on the southeastern part of South Dakota. I said it like I'm from there. I'm not. I'm from Louisiana. South Dakota. <laughs> All right. That was better. Borders Iowa and Minnesota. We drove all the way across into Wyoming, all the way across to the Tetons, and then down into our valley. You know what I saw a lot of? Uninhabited space. Places and over. That was just three states. And we just stayed on a very narrow strip. An uninhabited space as far as the eye can see. Well, you know, you've got to have, you've got to have land for agriculture and all those things. Yeah, I get that. I understand that there's some of that, but there's plenty of room in, the, in this nation. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're not, we're not about to be overpopulated. You know what else isn't about to be overpopulated? Heaven. <laughs> oh, there's room for one more sinner to be saved. There's room for one more people to be saved, one more person to be saved. The tragedy is when God's people don't allow for there to be room for people to come to Jesus Christ. I am afraid that we will have to answer to God for people that we have crowded out because in the process of them needing to come to Jesus Christ, we, we don't allow them to go through the process, not of getting saved, but of coming to the point that they're ready to get saved because they don't fit what we are comfortable with. Listen, we can love people without condoning godless lifestyles. We can encourage people without condoning sinful behavior. We can protect our own families and our own church without making, without making the grace of God off limits because people don't look the way we want them to look like. Man, I hope this is coming across the right way. Man, Jesus died for everybody. And there is so much room at the cross for any sinner that wants to come. You say, well, you're, you're, you, it almost sounds like you're endorse, endorsing sinful behavior. That nothing could be further from the truth. Who was it that stopped at the well to drink water from the hand of a woman that had been married five times and was living with a woman who was not her husband? Who was it that was criticized for eating and drinking with sinners. Who was that? It was Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And if he had room for any sinner and every sinner, we should make room for them too. We should love people. I know I'm getting amped up about this. Number two, this house was exclusive. There was room in the house. But the house was exclusive. Look at verse 19. 
And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the streets, his blood shall be upon his head and we will be guiltless. You couldn't go, you couldn't go, it wasn't enough to be near the house. You had to be in it. It wasn't enough to be next door to the house. You had to be in it. It wasn't enough to know someone that lived in the house. You had to be in it. If you were outside of the house, then you experienced judgment. You were outside of the house. It didn't matter what your proximity to that house was. If you weren't in it, you were judged and you would be destroyed with everyone else. Oprah Winfrey, one time interviewing Joel Osteen, who is a heretic. I'm not asking you to say amen, I'm just warning you. Interviewing Joel Osteen made this statement, it's okay if you want to believe in Jesus, and the, and the Jesus that Mr. Osteen preaches is not the Jesus of the Bible. But if you want to believe in Jesus, that's fine. But in my opinion, Oprah would say, there are many ways to God. Now, you have the ability to believe that if you want to, but if you're going to believe Scripture, the Son of God himself said this, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And then he said this, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. It's not enough to know about him. You got to be in him. It's not enough to know somebody that believes in him. There's this idea that if we just, you, you know a believer out there and you say, hey, will you just pray for me? Will you, will you pray for me as though someone else can pray you into a relationship with God? No, in order to have a relationship, you must be willing to accept it. Man, how many of you remember, how many of you dudes remember when you asked the question of your wife? Do you remember? You said, will you? One of my favorite, and I'm sorry, I'm twisted and cynical. One of my favorite videos to watch are proposal fails. <laughs> like, don't you feel bad? No, if you're going to record it and not know, that's on you, homie. <laughs> Look, mine was recorded. It was at church on a Sunday night. She thought we were singing a duet, and I got down on one knee, sang a song, God knew I needed you, and popped the question. You know why I did it like that? Because I knew, brother. I see these fools, they get out there in public arenas and they're like, will you? And she's like, nah. <laughs> I have the right to laugh at that. <laughs> I will enjoy that. That will make me happy before I go to bed. I also offer counseling. I'm here. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> it's available. You know what? Hey, you know what's, a, you know what's amazing about a proposal? It has to be offered based on love. And it will be accepted or rejected. You say, you say, I, I said this, I love you, Andrea. Will you? And she had to accept it. She did. <laughs> you know what Jesus says to you? I'm offering this to you. Will you? No, will you accept it? It's a gift. He doesn't force it on anyone. He offers it, and he offers it free of charge. 
Not because it was free, but because he already paid the price. You know what I didn't do with that engagement ring? It's nice. Oh, it's really nice. You know what I didn't do with that engagement ring? All right, babe, I love you. Would you mind paying for half of this when you say I do? <laughs> like, like marriage is supposed to be 50-50, which is a lie. Marriage is 100-100. But, but since, it, since it's 50-50, would you mind covering this maybe? No, no. I covered it all, and I offered it. Jesus covered it all. No, he did. But, but hear me. There's no other way. There is no other way. There's not a church in existence that can save you. You can call it a Baptist church. You can call it a Catholic church. You can call it a Presbyterian church. You can call it a non-denominational church. You can call it a Lutheran church. You can call it a Pentecostal church. You can call it a charismatic church. There is not any body of believers. There is not any group of people meeting together in existence that can save anyone. Brother Robbie and I were witnessing to a man who uh, claims to be a part of the Mormon church and has not attended in a long time. And uh, I made this statement to him, do you know for sure that when you die, you are going to heaven? And this was his statement, I've not lost faith in the church. I don't care what group of people your faith is in. It will never be enough to bring you into a relationship with God. It's not being at this church or any other church that brings salvation. It's only through faith in Jesus Christ. Which, by the way, hey, we're a Baptist church on purpose. There are other reasons that I can explain to you for that. But we better make sure we never lose sight of this. Nobody gets into heaven because of the sign on the church. You get into the heaven because of the blood of Jesus Christ. And that better be the primary and most important thing to you. It's faith in him alone that saves you. We got to make sure we don't, we, don't have unre- we don't have unbiblical standards for whether or not people are saved. <laughs> well, they, they don't do things exactly like I do. <laughs> Welcome to marriage. <laughs> it's, it, listen, You know, I don't answer to God for churches that I don't pastor. I just answer to God for this one. But nobody goes to heaven because of a church. They go to heaven because of a Savior. And it's faith in Jesus Christ alone. There was room in that house. That house was exclusive. But I want you to get this. That house was guaranteed. (laughs) Look at verse Look at verse number 19 again. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will be guiltless. Notice the next part. And whosoever shall be with thee in the house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. Literally, they were making this promise that if you're in this house, if you've done what we've commanded you to do, you hang the scarlet thread in this house, and any harm comes to anyone in this house, then our life will be given for the life of those who die. That's what they were saying, our blood for their blood, our life for their life. We put the, we put the guarantee of our life, and we have, the, we have the very helpful insight of hindsight. You go to chapter 6, and their commitment was fulfilled, and it turned out that the guarantee was sure. Can you imagine being in that house as the walls were falling down, and as you heard the cries and the screams and the trumpets blowing and the people shouting and the armies advancing, and you hear all of this chaos, and you're thinking at any minute this room is going to give in. 
and yet it never does. And then all of a sudden you hear a knock on the door. Rahab, remember us? I love it that Joshua sent the same people in that had been there before. Hey, Rahab, remember us? We guaranteed it. It's time to go. You know, Jesus does not give us temporary life. You say the phrase eternal security is not in Scripture. Yeah, but the principle is. Call it whatever you want. How about we just be biblical? Call it everlasting life. You know what the implication of everlasting is? It lasts forever. You don't need to understand Greek to figure that out. You know what the definition of forever is? It doesn't end. And the fact that he says in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give unto them eternal life and they shall, what's the word? Never perish. And then he paints this beautiful picture. You're placed in his hand and in God's, the Father's hand. And he and the Father, he says, this are one. There's not two or three different gods. It's one God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And uh, you are being held in the hand of the Almighty. And it says this, no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know what that means? That once you're saved, you're always there. It's guaranteed. It can't be taken away. You know what else can't be done? You can't jump out. I love playing this game with with Jaron, who's five, and he'll start to run, and I'll just grab him, and then I'll hold him up, and I'll say, okay, Jaron, try to run out of my hands. Air running. <laughs> I would have somebody come hold me up, but that would be a little ridiculous. Just run. <sighs> Doesn't matter how hard he tries, he can't get out. There's nothing that can be done in your life that will remove you from the hand of God. You say, hang on, hang on, pastor, what if, what if I do something bad? Guess what? Anybody that's ever been saved more than an hour, probably less than that, has sinned since they got saved. Salvation is not a guarantee of perfection in that we do everything right now. We become righteous before God. But salvation is, is a right standing with God, and then it's his presence in us to give us the ability to do right and to sin less. But even in that, we're still going to fail. Let me ask you a question. You have children in your home. Have they ever sinned? Have they ever sinned after you told them what sin was? Have they ever disobeyed after you clearly explained what disobedience was? Have they ever rejected you? Did you, when they were 10, say, okay, I'm making up names here. So if this is somebody's name, I'm sorry. Now I'll just pick up on Julia right here. That'll be safer. All right. Julia, come here. Julia, Julia's my friend. Julia, you used to be 10 several years ago. Um, Julia, you're 10, you didn't pick up your room, sorry, we loved you, but you can no longer be our child, <clears throat> get out of here. Is that how any parent treats their child? And, and yet, this is what we think about the perfect father, is that he would remove those who don't always live up to his standard. 
your relationship with him was never based on your living up to his standard. Therefore, it is not biblically logical that you maintain it by living up to his standard. It is maintained from beginning to end by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. From one nail-scarred hand to the other is enough to pay for everything that could ever be done wrong. So, is it possible to be out of fellowship? Yes. Is it possible that you can suffer consequences? Yes. Is it possible that you need to make things right? Yes. But thank God, you can never go so far that the Father won't take you back. You can never get out of that hand. You're saved. Thank you, sis. Yeah. It is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. You can't lose it. The enemy can't undo it. It's done. It's signed. It's sealed and it's delivered. Here's the statement. In this city of ruin, there is a house of refuge. Let me make some application. You say, what have you been doing the last 40 minutes? Just getting to this point. There is no place in this culture that will not succumb to the ruin of sin. I love America. I love America. And I'm thankful for every person of every nation that loves the nation from whence they are. I believe God created nations. And I love my nation. But the Bible says this, the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. And there has been a consistent and a steady effort on the part of our nation to increasingly turn its back on God. And eventually, our nation will fall to the destructiveness of sin, just like Jericho fell before God's judgment. This nation will fall before God's judgment. I saw, excuse me, I heard a man on the radio who with a lot of things I would agree with, and it's a, it's a guy here in the area, I think, and he, he made this foolish statement. America is too big to fail. People said the same thing about the Titanic. People have said the same thing about other empires and other nations. And you go back and, honestly, you don't even have to look at the Bible to get this. You go back and you study the rise and the fall of the Roman Empire. And this is what you find, that they gave themselves to wickedness. They were consumed with their own selves and with the way they were living their life. And it eventually began to fragment and to be destroyed. And what, and what was at the heart of it is at the heart of our own demise, and that is this. We were a nation whose founding documents clearly speak to a belief in biblical principle. You say, I don't agree with that. Well, you can disagree, but you honestly study the founding documents. I'm not saying every founder was perfect. They certainly weren't. And I'm not saying every founder was saved or believed in God like I do. But there is an abundance of evidence in the founding documents that our nation was founded for the purpose of seeking God without government interference. Of the people, by the people, for the people. Now we have people making statements like this. What goes on in this Congress is no business of God's. That has been said this year. 
I want to tell you it is his business. And he will not look on the selfishness and the violence and the perversion of a nation indefinitely without eventually holding that nation accountable. And, it, and listen, we love to talk about nations falling, and we can talk about a communist nation, and we can talk about a Muslim nation. Brothers and sisters, we ought to tremble having been a nation to whom God has given so much that we have done so little and so violently and so wickedly with as a nation. You say, well, I didn't do it, but we're all here. So what do we do? We have a house. <laughs> okay, I don't think y'all got it. We have a house. Because whether it's in Africa somewhere, whether it's in Asia somewhere, whether it's in Europe or South America or South America or anywhere else, the house is the same for anyone that wants to be saved. It's the cross and the blood and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And whether that's in a place in Russia, a place in China, a place in Mongolia, a place in Ethiopia, a place in Kenya, a place in Lithuania, or whatever it is, a place wherever people are, that cross is sufficient to bring refuge. We have a cross. So, two things, and then I'm done. By the way... I struggle not to apologize for the time, but I think I've got this. We don't have church to get done. We have church to hear from God. So let me ask you two questions, and then I'm re I really am done. I really am. First question, are you in that house? You in the house? I'm not asking are you in this house, this building. I'm not asking what church are you a member of. I'm not asking what your political preference is. I'm not asking what your position on global affairs is. I'm not asking what your position on taxes are, although I could probably guess that. I'm not asking what your position on any of these matters that can so be so divisive in our nation today are. I'm not asking that. I'm asking, are you in the house that Jesus Christ built? Are you in his house? Do you have a relationship with him? Are you in his house? family. You say, I don't, I don't know what to do. He offers it. He's holding it out with nail-scarred hands. And he's saying, you can have this if you'll receive it. Number two, are you helping other people get in that house? Shame on us if we believe this and do nothing to help others know it. Shame on us. Look, I, I don't need people to agree with me to love them. Honestly, I don't, I don't respect people based on the fact that they agree with me. I respect people because they are a creation of God, and they deserve my respect. And you can say, you could what? I've had people do this. They leave after a sermon, and they've said this. They've looked me in the face and said this. You did a terrible job. And this is what I say. Have a good day. I don't, I don't need you to like me or agree with me to know that your life has value. Brothers and sisters, if you are saved... You need to love people enough to try to introduce them to the God who has changed your life. I didn't say force them. I didn't say berate them. I didn't say be ugly and critical of them. I said just love them the way that Jesus has loved you and see what the power of the gospel can do. Shame on you if you are benefiting from that house and doing nothing to help anyone else into that house. Can you imagine being Rahab, knowing what she knew, and not telling anybody. 
That's y'all's problem. No, she took responsibility. Are you in the house? Are you helping anybody else get in the house? Let's all bow our heads and close our eyes. In a city of ruin, there is a place of refuge. Miss Jessica is going to begin to play. We call this time an invitation, and, and it's an invite to talk to God. That's all it is. We are more than happy to pray with you to be a help to you. But we're not going to force any conversation. We're not going to do anything weird. We, we just want you to be responsive to God if he has spoken to you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I wonder if there would be some, someone, nobody else looking around at home. And by the way, the camera is zoomed in on me so people can't even see what's going on in the congregation. Nobody's, nobody's looking. It's just for a moment, just clear your thoughts with your head bowed and your eyes closed. And ask yourself this question, do, do I know for sure that when I die, I am safe and I am right with God based on what the Bible says? Is it possible that there are any doubts that you don't know for sure what will happen to you? That you don't know for sure that you have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ? It, is it possible that you have questions or doubts? I'm not asking if you agree with me about everything, I'm asking you to honestly consider the question. And if the answer to the question, I don't know for sure these things, if the answer to the question is this, but I want to know, I don't know, but I want to know, can I ask you to do something? I just want to pray for you. Not, not in a specific way, just in a generic way. Say, God, you see the ones that are here that are wrestling with this, would you please help them to have clarity? I just want to pray. I wonder, I'm going to start looking on my left, your right. You say, I'm not sure. I see that hand. You can put it down. You say, I'm not sure, but I want to have clarity about that. Would you pray for me? You say, I'm not sure. I'm looking here in the middle now. You say, I'm not I see it. You can put it down. You say, I'm not sure, but I want to be. You can put that down. I see that hand. God bless you. It's through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not anything that we do. We'd be happy to take the word of God and show you how you can know that for sure. If you'll respond. Number two, I wonder if there would be some that would say, I, I by faith in Jesus Christ, I know I'm, I'm right with him according to what the Bible says, but I'm not loving people and helping people know his love the way that I need to. I know that for sure as well, and I need God to help me help others into a relationship with him. I'm not doing what I know I ought to be doing. Would you pray for me? I wonder if there'd be any of God's people that would say, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I see the hands going up. Lord bless you for your honesty. Let's all stand together while Brother Nate begins to sing. And if God has spoken to your heart, you can respond to him.
Father, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for the truth of the Bible. And God, I, I pray that in spite of my imperfection, God, that your truth would be clearly understood in the hearts of people. And Lord, whether it's been a long journey for them spiritually, whether they are completely new to this or well-established in this, Father, I pray that you would continue to do your work in the hearts of your people, help people to know your love for them and the truth of who you are. And I pray that those of us who are saved, who have put our faith in you, Lord, that we would be good representatives of your love and your grace. Thank you for how good you are to us. In Jesus' name, I pray, amen.